BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. It is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. We are live on a Friday, February 22nd. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill Press today. I will be here with a uh, great group of guests who will be joining me to talk everything from Texas politics to national politics. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. And we're going to talk some White House news as well. Uh, it was a busy news day yesterday from uh, the story of Jesse Smollett getting even weirder to Roger Stone being uh, shut up for once, which is pretty exciting. I think it was the, not yesterday, but the last time I hosted was when Roger Stone got in all that trouble and the FBI raided his house. That was pretty great. Uh, I'm going to give you some details. On the latest with Roger Stone, which was pretty amazing yesterday. Uh, and we got a great, 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 great group of guests that are going to be joining us. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. Ray Rogers running the board. Good morning, Ray. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you, Peter? I'm okay. I'm okay. McKenna is here as well, along with Cyprian Bolding. I want to talk, first of all, um, about a story. This actually happened on Wednesday night. I didn't talk about it yesterday because the uh, Duke-North Carolina college basketball game was happening, which is a big, big deal. And they make a ton of money off of this. By the way, the athletes still don't get paid. Notably make zero dollars. Zero money. Zero money. Barack Obama was even at the game. You see that? He was like, he was at the game watching it. So Duke has this player. His name is Zion Williamson. He's the most exciting basketball player in years. Right? The guy's amazing. Amazing. And he left the game because he got hurt 33, sec 33 seconds into the game. And what had happened was his shoe basically exploded. Did you see this? It's I insane. did. As a non-sports follower, I saw this. It's The video is crazy because he sort of pivots and his shoe completely falls apart. His Nike shoe completely falls apart. 
Uh, he's wearing a, a pair of Paul George Nike shoes. Paul George is an NBA basketball player. Uh, and this, as you can imagine, is very bad news for Nike, who a lot like the backbone of their business is selling basketball shoes. So, like I said, a minute into the game, his shoe fell apart. Zion goes down with a knee sprain injury. In fact, I, as I mentioned, Barack Obama was uh, sitting courtside and he saw it happen, and, and the camera saw Obama mouthing the words, "His shoe broke." And that's exactly what happened. The video is is remarkable. Here's the thing, though. Shares for Nike yesterday tumbled as much as 1.7%, and it closed 1.1%. You know how much money that is in, in Nike money? It has to be billions, right? $1.1 billion. They lost a billion dollars in 24 hours. And by the way, somebody pointed out this is not the first time this has happened with Nike shoes. Somebody showed a little montage of like five different NBA players where their where their Nike shoes completely fell apart. I'm like, when you're an NBA player, you get like 15 pairs of shoes a month, and that's for the people that aren't superstars. The superstars get truckloads of shoes. So they can do it at like a, 30 seconds into the game, his shoe fell apart. Paul George had to comment on it because it's his. It's his name that are on the shoes. He had to comment and say, like, yeah, you know, first of all, he'll be recovers and, and all that. But also, I'm, I need to have a talk with Nike because <laughs> the shoes that has his name on them fell apart in one of the most highly anticipated college basketball games of the year. With a former president of the United States watching. All eyes were on that game, and the Nike shoes fell apart. So uh, I, I hope Zion Williamson can recover. I'm certain that he will, but he got hurt. And it looks like it's because Nike's shoes fell apart. We're going to talk not just about that, but a lot of other stuff. So stay tuned here to the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All righty, let's do it. We are live on a Friday, February 22nd. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today, live on WCPT in Chicago. We got the podcast up as well, where you can get on iTunes or anywhere that you get your favorite podcast. Streaming live video, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And also on free speech tv free speech tv we uh we love to be on free speech tv We're, we we try and get everywhere we put our we, we put our feelers out far and wide uh here on the show and uh however you get us we're grateful that you're there uh a big big biggity big show today we're going to be talking to uh washington correspondent for the fort star fort worth star telegram andrea drush she will be here a little bit later also from Vox, Lee Zhou, a congressional reporter who has written a lot about uh, 2020 politics. So we're going to talk a little 2020. Don't jump into my Minchies quite yet on Twitter because I haven't uttered the name Cerny Banders. I'm trying to game the, the algorithm here so that people don't immediately jump in and start fighting about the senator. Banders. <laughs> and also, we'll talk some White House news with the White House correspondent from the Atlantic, Elena Plot. 
Okay, uh, so I, I, I'm going to talk about this, and I know that people that are listening in Chicago and WCPT have been paying attention to this story. It's the story of actor Jesse Smollett. And yesterday, the uh, police held a press conference, said he is being charged. Uh, he falsified his entire story uh, in which he said that two guys wearing MAGA hats tied a noose around his neck and poured bleach on him. It turns out he paid uh, both of the men, or he paid the men uh, $3,500 uh, to assault him, and they hoped to catch it on camera. By the way, one of the most annoying details of this is he the, he wanted it staged in front of a closed-circuit camera, but they did the attack, and the camera was facing the wrong way. Right, so it just caught the men... Like yeah, exiting the crime scene. Not exactly a master criminal. Not exactly a master criminal here. Um, they said that this was because he felt like he was not being paid enough uh, on his TV show Empire. Which, by the way, uh, the, the his payment for the show Empire, he gets paid sixty five thousand dollars an episode with eighteen episodes per season. That's over a million dollars for one season. I don't know how much money you need, but, you know, it's it's good money. Uh, so, look, he's in a lot of trouble, and it's a very disturbing story. Here's my take on this. Uh, yesterday, uh, you know, we finished the show, and we have the TVs on uh, while we're doing the program. And I'll come in here and work after the show, and uh, all the TVs are on. And it was wall-to-wall, uh, Jesse Smollett. They showed the... Uh, a press conference, and they had people talking about it, and people going on and on and on and on and on. You know what I didn't see yesterday? I didn't see the story that we started talking about on yesterday's program about the Coast Guard lieutenant who who wants to kill as many people as he can in order to secure a quote white homeland here in America. That, that's, a, that's a real story. That's not a hoax. That's not something that somebody made up. I get that the Smollett story is uh, disturbing on a lot of different levels, but uh, this is a real, actual white nationalist who is actively looking to commit mass murder. Uh, not just, not, I'm not trying to say that, an accusation like this isn't bad, but like, look, Jesse Smollett said that he was jumped and beaten. Obviously, that would have been bad if that was real, but this guy wants to murder a huge number of people. In fact, he created a list of traitors and targets just last month. And on his work computer, they found these searches. Best place in D.C. to see congresspeople. Now, he wasn't going to people watch, by the way. He made it very, very clear. That was not his intent. He also Googled where in D.C. to Congress live. So he's looking for addresses of where members of Congress lived. He looked up uh, civil war if Trump impeached. Now, where could he have gotten that idea? I wonder. He also Googled, what if Trump illegally impeached? Again, wonder where that seed was planted. And this all comes back to me anyway. Remember, it was just a couple of months ago that there was a uh, 
a, a man who was found to be sending pipe bombs to political enemies of Donald Trump, both in the media and in, in, in the political realm, politicians. So we now have two seemingly disturbed individuals uh, who could have actually taken this to a point of mass murder. But yeah, the Jesse Smollett story is the biggest story in the country, I guess. Right? Like, that was my problem with the news media yesterday. I understand that it's a story worth talking about, and I know Chicago, you've been following this a lot. But do we really need wall-to-wall coverage for hours yesterday when there are actual real threats facing us? Why don't we talk about this story some more? That really bothered me. That really bothers me, too, especially we're heading into a new presidential season, right? Yeah. And this was a constant criticism. Like, how does the media, how did they handle Trump? Was it an appropriate amount of coverage? Like, how can we get better moving into the next cycle? And I worry that the way that the Jesse Smollett story was presented over all the other news that was happening shows that we haven't evolved and we haven't learned much over the past two years. Uh, you know, it it was practically while the press conference was still going on yesterday that uh, Donald Trump jumped onto Twitter to say, uh, Jesse Smollett, he, he tagged him on Twitter, right? Jesse Smollett, what about MAGA and the tens of millions of people you insulted with your racist and dangerous comments? Hashtag MAGA. First of all, what racist comments did he say? Like, I don't see the uh, racial component on his end anyway. Uh, Donald Trump has not tweeted uh, about the Coast Guard Lieutenant uh, Hassan is the guy's last name. He didn't tweet about that course um i also love yesterday they had the the african the the a black history month celebration at the white house donald trump's comments about this yesterday uh where he talked about it at the white house today we thank god for all of the blessings the african-american community continues to give our nation and we pledge our resolve to expand opportunity for Americans of every race, religion, color, and creed. Okay, I just have to say, and maybe I'm picking nits here, uh, Black History Month is over in less than a week. So I guess great, good for you for having a, you know, commemoration of it, uh, you know, now that it's almost over. But yikes, what a Black History Month. And it began with Ralph Northam in Virginia is how it started, and it just didn't get much better than that. I don't know. I want to hear more positive stories, and that's the role that the president should be playing, and that's what Black History Month is really all about. And, yeah, he just completely misses the mark year after year on this, and it— Oh, he's never going to get it right. I think—I feel like I can say that with all He thinks that Frederick Douglass is, like, (laughs) currently alive and well and, like, you know— Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I'm of a mind, by the way, like people freaked out because Donald Trump wasn't going to go out and give some big speech on like Veterans Day or 9-11 or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Good. Good. He doesn't care. I don't want him to go out and act like he cares. Just mask is off. Just show us who you are. You don't have to do a a, a Black History Month celebration when we know he doesn't care. Just don't do it. Just be your true self. Live live your fully realized life, your fully realized racist life. 
Uh, also, uh, yesterday, I have to say, it was not yesterday, but the last time that I filled in was the time that uh, Roger Stone's house was busted down so that they could get him and take him to jail. Pizza and, Friday. And Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, 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 he hasn't figured out that he just needs to shut up, right? He should just shut up. Just shut up and go away. But he can't. And he's constantly talking about his case. After he uh, was arrested, he was still doing media hits. He was still out there saying things. He did one of the dumbest things that you could possibly do. He put up on his Instagram page a photo of the judge, Amy Berman Jackson, with crosshairs. And he says, through legal trickery, deep state hitman Robert Mueller has guaranteed that my upcoming show trial is before Judge Amy Berman Jackson, an Obama-appointed judge who dismissed the Benghazi charges against Hillary Clinton and incarcerated Paul Manafort prior to his conviction for any crime. Help me fight for my life at stonedefensefund.com. And there's a picture of her, and there's a picture of crosshairs right above her head. And... By the way, that's bad. That's not a good move if you are going to be facing this judge and you put up a picture of her with crosshairs. Um, again, I, to tie it back to this uh, Coast Guard lieutenant, someone like that would see that as a message. Could very easily see that as a message. And... We're not just playing around just to own the libs here, right? Like, we're playing around with people's lives. Anyway, Roger Stone was slapped with a full gag order yesterday and was told, you cannot speak about your ongoing trial anymore. Quote, from this moment on, the defendant may not speak publicly about the investigation or the case or any of the participants, said Judge Amy Ber Berman Jackson. This is all because he shared that photo of her with the crosshairs. She said to him, quote, today I give you a second chance, but this is not baseball. There will not be a third chance. Which is remarkably lenient, if you ask me. Uh, so he is not able to talk about it anymore. You know, I, I just had, this is part of the reason I was so giddy about this. Uh, when he was arrested the first time around is like, I love to see these fake phony straw men completely buckle uh, when they're faced with actual consequences for their dumbass actions. That's, that's what I love. I love seeing that. And it happened to Roger Stone yesterday. So he had to go and beg for forgiveness in front of uh, the judge that he put up a video or a, a photo on Instagram with crosshairs and she basically said uh no dude you can't talk about this anymore and you certainly can't post on Instagram anymore about this stuff and you can't claim ignorance who she I think that her direct quote um, I'm paraphrasing here was basically like you know the power of your words and you know the power of symbols so don't argue that you were blindly unaware of what crosshairs could mean or be interpreted to mean. Roger Stone yesterday, again, when I talk about uh, how much I love seeing strong men get completely pulled apart, he says, quote, I can only beseech you to give me a second chance. Forgive me the trespass. <laughs> <laughs> to her credit, Amy Berman Jackson, the judge, said, 
I do not find any of the evolving and contradictory explanations credible. So, screw you, dude. Shut up and go away. I think it's great. I wish she hadn't given him a second chance. Well, look, I I, I, I wish that as well. But it, this is pretty great because it's a complete smackdown. Like a complete and total smackdown. And... Look, there's not much that I can get happy and excited about these days, okay? I'll, I'll take this. I will take this. Uh, also, yesterday, we had a great conversation. If you didn't uh, see the show yesterday, it's at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And if you'd rather listen to it, it's up in podcast form on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, we had a great conversation with Simone Pathé from Roll Call where she talked about the situation in North Carolina. Well, so... <laughs> Yesterday, you know, I started getting these breaking news alerts. Uh, and my favorite was for, from Politico. Breaking news, Republican Mark Harris calls for a new election in North Carolina's 9th District. No kidding. Well, no kidding. Well, good for him for finally coming around. What were we waiting for him for? This, this a new election should have been declared months ago. But Mark Harris, the Republican candidate, North Carolina's disputed 9th Congressional District, said Thursday that he believes a new election should be called after hearing four days of testimony alleging that the fraud took place during Harris's 2018 race. No S. Well, well, welcome aboard, Mark Harris. I'm glad you are with us now. What were we waiting for him? Why were we waiting for him? Who cares what he thinks? This guy's a criminal. This guy should go away. What, new election? New election, what, for, for inmate of the month? Go to jail. No, you should not be in this race. And by the way, as we put it out yesterday, this goes back to the primary. So are we going to have a new primary? Are we going to have, a, and should the people of North Carolina be forced to deal with this and pay for a new election? Why? You're a snake, a complete and total snake. And by the way, Dallas Woodhouse, the chairman of the Republican Party in North Carolina, I talked about this yesterday. He was strutting around with his whiteboard that showed, okay, well, we won by 900-something votes, and these are saying that there are 700 votes in question. So still, we win. We only stole, whatever, 700 votes, 1,000 votes, whatever. But we still were in the margin of victory, so we should still win this. Get, what are you talking about? Well, the North Carolina Elections Board ordered a new election in the uh, 9th District of North Carolina. They voted, and they said that a new election is in order. No winner was declared because of fraud. So we'll see how that plays out. But again, anytime that you hear a Republican talking about voter fraud or election fraud, which there is a difference, people were yelling at us again yesterday about it. Even yeah, though but we, we didn't mess it up. We, we didn't mess it up yesterday. About the difference. We didn't mess it up yesterday. James uh, got into my mentions and said, Peter, I love the show, but please stop mixing voter fraud and election fraud. I, we got it right yesterday, right? No, we definitely got it right. We had a whole discussion about how previously one time Bill misspoke. Yeah. And Carol corrected him. And Carol corrected him, and then he corrected himself, and Simone weighed in, and she gave the difference between the two, and we were very careful not to confuse the two. All right, people listen harder. 
Okay? That's what we're trying to tell you. To do. Just listen harder. Uh, so, look, we're... They're going to have another election there. They, they, that's just how it's going to go. I, I, I guess that's a suitable uh, conclusion of this whole thing. If it was up to me, I'd throw his ass in jail. I certainly wouldn't let him run for public office again. No, you do not get to pass go again. And by the way, North Carolina, if you make this election close at all, shame on you. Shame on you. Because if he's running for office again and he somehow even gets close to getting that seat, <laughs> ooh, 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 we got some problems, Ninth District of North Carolina. Also, Ray, we talked yesterday about how uh, Attorney General William Barr said that the Mueller report could be dropping in the next couple of days. Uh, my buddy Major Garrett from CBS yesterday said it could come as early as today, uh, could find its its way into the hands of Attorney General Barr. Um, I'm not sure if I believe this. This is probably the 12th time that people have said the Mueller report is imminent. This is the most common speculative headline of the past two years. I'll tell you when I'll believe one. When I actually see it. When I actually see Robert Mueller say, here's my report, I'm done and I'm good. Then I'll believe it. Until then, no. It's like, I, I love to you know, fantasize and daydream about what could be possibly coming uh, from the Mueller report. But uh, like I said, I, I, I think we'll see it when we see it. And that's all I, it's, that's, that, that, that's really all there is to it. Uh, all right. I want to read a couple of comments because we're on Twitter at BP show at BP show. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. A uh, couple of different comments. Okay, let's go to uh, Phil. He says, we're talking about the Coast Guard lieutenant. He says, if that Coast Guard guy were Muslim and are targeting GOP politicians and rightly and righty media figures, there would have been nonstop coverage, coverage on every network. Yes, that is correct. Yep. That is correct, Phil. Phil usually has the correct take. Uh, that is that is the correct take. Uh, DZ says, Peter, don't let these crazy centrists stop you all from talking about he who shall not be named. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Bernie Sanders. R.I.P. mentions. R.I.P. my mentions. Like, you know, let, let's talk about it a little bit because the 2020 stuff is um, certainly front of mind. There was some news uh, yesterday. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, who has had sort of a rocky campaign so far, not that that should be held against any of the candidates at this point. It's so early on. We're paying much more attention to these candidates than we usually do at this point in the race. Uh, she came out and said that she supported reparations, which is a big, it's a really, really big deal. Bernie Sanders also went on Chris Hayes' show last night for an extended interview, uh, and he said that uh, his two priorities on day one, I love how all these Democratic hopefuls are now sort of echoing Trump. On day one, I'm going to build a wall. Or on day one, I'm going to repeal Obamacare. And like all these ideas that have still never happened on year three of the presidency. So, but they're all echoing this. Bernie said on day one, uh, the minimum wage will be increased and he will put into place uh, much stronger climate change legislation than we have ever seen. I think that's great. I think that's great. 
Elizabeth Warren also earlier this week. This story kind of got buried, uh, and it shouldn't have. Uh, she talked about universal child care, which, you know, people don't talk about that very much. This country got very close to having universal child care not so long ago, and it was completely killed. We are essentially the only civilized country that doesn't have this, by the way. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren says uh, she wants to make it a reality. Amy Klobuchar actually spoke about this yesterday as well, talking about when you look at the cost of universal child care versus the Republican tax cuts, it, you know, we can have one and maybe not the other. Moving into where the rest of the developed nations are with our child care policies and family leave policies, and we can certainly do it by repealing those parts of the Republican tax bill that, where all the money went to the wealthy. And that oh, yeah. is what they did. They literally. That's how, I mean, that's it. That's it. Take that money, put it into universal child care, and the country will be better off. The country's not better off with all these people saving money. I could weep with gratitude that this issue is getting attention on the national stage. On the idea, by the way, that, uh, you know, Taxing the rich is some unpopular idea. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was the debut guest of the new Jesus uh, and Mero show on Showtime, which you know I, I love Jesus and Mero. They have a great podcast. Uh, they used to be on Vice, and now they're on Showtime. But Jesus Nice uh, and the Kid Mero uh, have their new show on Showtime. AOC dropped by and explained her tax plan and why it's not so radical. You make more than 10 million in one year. Your 10 millionth and one dollar gets taxed at 70%, which by the way, we used to have marginal tax rates under Republican presidents of 90%. And it was when we experienced some of the largest rates of economic Bow, Stupid, hold that. So. You know what's crazy? Like, <laughs> she totally explained it, and I don't have $10 million, but even though I'm just like, nah. And, and it really comes down to the question of, isn't 10 million enough? Like, when does it stop? Yeah, when it's too much. Right? Too much. Like, when, at what point is it immoral that we're building Jeff Bezos a helipad when we have the most amount of homeless people in New York City? Yeah. Yes. And by the way, it's, you know, when we talk about these tax rates on the wealthy, people making over $10 million, she's absolutely right. I mean, these tax rates, they're not such a crazy idea they did exist under republican presidents they existed just a generation ago and, and they were completely dismantled as she points out even at a 70 percent tax rate you're still going to have more than enough money yeah you, you, you my god you have plenty of money and this is this is i think really indicative of where the democratic party is now because democrats used to say this is right this is the right thing to do. This is how we're going to pay for all the good stuff that we need in this country. And it was completely dismantled by Republicans along with the help of Bill Clinton, who turned the Democratic Party into Republican light. And you can, this is a winning issue, by the way. This is an overwhelmingly positive issue. So keep going. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think uh, she's great. I think her explanation of it is great. Uh, I think that we're going to hear a lot more about this idea in the coming uh, 
months, and years. All right, stay tuned, everybody. We've got a big, big show coming up. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk some Texas politics with Andrea Drush. She is from Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and she joins me next here on The Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today on this Friday, February 22nd, as we head into the weekend. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Remember, we are tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, please send us comments. Only the nice ones. That's not true. I'll read any good comments, even if they're negative. If they're if they're good comments, I'll read them. Uh, I'm joined now by Andrea Drush. She is Washington correspondent for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Andrea, how you doing? Good. I'm a former resident of Texas. I lived in San Antonio. Are you from Texas? Yes. Okay, right Corinth, on. Corinth, Texas. All right. Where's Corinth? Uh, in between Denton and Louisville. I don't know where Denton and Louisville okay. are. I'm sorry. In North Texas. <laughs> okay, all right. In North Texas. Dallas and Fort Worth. Okay, all right. That's cool. All right. Now I get it. Now I get it. Uh, I lived in San Antonio for a little while. Uh, and Texas politics is like, it's kind of bonkers. People always talk about like Louisiana politics or Chicago politics, but like Texas politics is a whole, it's a whole thing. Like of its own, you know? Agreed. I always say, people always talk about Texas being part of the South. Texas is not a Southern state. Texas is Texas. It's like Florida. Florida's not part of the South. Florida's Florida. You're saying all the right things. Okay, all right, all right. Just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Uh, all right, so I want to talk all things Texas politics with you. By the way, uh, Ray, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, you know, I have like a love-hate relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and all this stuff. Okay. E! News reporting this morning, Gwyneth Paltrow is being sued after she allegedly hit a man so hard that she knocked him out broke four of his ribs, and then skied away. Gwyneth pa- Imagine getting knocked out by Gwyneth Paltrow. This is a lady who runs a site named Goop. Yeah, I don't like the name. That I don't hate everything that she does, though. What? I don't hate I don't hate everything that she does. That's all I'm saying. I okay, how about most things? That they are trying to regulate sunscreen now, which I think is also her, because she's, like, selling sunscreen that is not real sunscreen. A lot of her stuff is fake and phony baloney. a lot of pseudoscience on that side. Told 100%. I want to be very clear about that. But she does talk about, like, the importance of, you know, I love my birch box. And, like, she talks about the importance of skin care and all that stuff. I think it's important. Sure. Some of the beauty tips, okay. I know. But a lot of the That's health tips are ba- no, they're, they're, no, they're fake trash, science. garbage. Fake science. But she's out here throwing hands. She knocked a guy out. I know that I didn't really trust her on a personal level when she used the word conscious uncoupling to describe a yeah. divorce. Like, That's no good. That's no good. But, man, alive. I'd hate to be the person that gets knocked out by Gwyneth Paltrow. Anyway, let's talk some Texas politics, Andrea. That's, we, didn't, sure. we didn't bring you on to talk about goop. No, give us it. your take on goop. <laughs> yeah, 30 more minutes <laughs> on goop. All right. Uh, well, I want to I first of all talk about Beto O'Rourke because he really did capture something in his Senate race um, against Ted Cruz. He lost. Uh, we talked yesterday about sort of how there are so many people who are failing upwards these days. And Beto O'Rourke seems to be one of them. <laughs> Falls up, yeah. Yeah, it's like people are really, really, really excited about the possibility of Beto O'Rourke running for president. How did Texans feel about that next move for him? I don't know if I'm qualified to speak for all of Texas on that, but I do think... Wait, what? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were here to talk for all of Texas. No, I'm kidding. But You know, John Cornyn actually said at one point, I think, 
Beto O'Rourke's politics are match the rest of the country probably more so than they match Texas. I mean, he almost won in Texas. Yeah. So, which is like a fair point. But um, having followed him around a little bit, I feel like I get frustrated when I hear people in D.C. really discount him as a presidential candidate because I feel like those people just haven't seen him on the trail. Like, it is kind of incredible to witness. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. Like, I remember seeing uh, a couple of Barack Obama speeches in person. I've never seen Beto O'Rourke speak in, in person. I've, I've seen uh, some of the some of the clips and, and that everybody else has seen. But there is something reminiscent about Barack Obama and the way that he speaks and the way that he can communicate. And and that's just like on a spoken word level. But you look at like his fundraising and his, the, the cult of personality around Beto. It really is uh, different than anything we've ever seen in politics. Yeah. And it you have to think the guy just like has some good political instincts. Like I'm sure that he probably did have some consultants working for him. But at a time when... Democrats nationwide were talking about how we couldn't talk about Trump and and need to stay on the topic and talk about health care. He was the guy out there doing talking about the NFL protesters yeah. and just like really engaged in some of the culture wars that other Democrats didn't want to. And it paid off. That was like the moment in his campaign where his own folks would say things really changed was after he had that NFL protest moment that was like launched him on national television and then all of a sudden his events were so crowded with young people of color that like they couldn't hardly move their cars yeah so it's amazing the crowd and the again i keep using this phrase the cult of personality around him because i i think like look i think he's probably a force for good but i i, I don't know that a lot of people know exactly what his politics and policies are you know what i mean sure i mean he was like uh he had no problem working with republicans when he was a Congressman, but disqualified uh, for me. No, I'm kidding. Worked a lot with John Cornyn actually on border issues. Um, But he, it seems like there is not an, there's a large chunk of the Democratic base that does just want to see the opposite of Trump at all times. And he, he is that. He's like the living embodiment of the opposite of Trump just by virtue of being the El Paso Congressman. Right. Doesn't (laughs) believe in border walls. Like, at every turn goes the opposite direction of Trump. And that seems to be like what a lot of Democratic voters want to see. So he he recently, I think, uh, the thing that, that got him the most attention was he had his competing rally with Donald Trump. Donald Trump went down to El Paso and and held his rally. Beto O'Rourke held one that was, at the same time, just a couple blocks away. Uh, and, of course, everybody was worried and wondering who's going to get the bigger, bigger and better crowd. Um, I think by all accounts, either Beto had a little bit more or it was a virtual tie. Right. I couldn't win. Yeah, but. well, it's like it, it's it was sort of all over the place, right? Sure. Nobody had like a definite number, but it was it was not a blowout as Trump said. Trump said he had 15,000 people and Beto had 300 people. It wasn't that. <laughs> Probably not. It wasn't that. I feel like we could say that uh, with all certainty. But when you when with Beto's message when he talks about, you know, getting rid of the existing fencing and 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 walls and things like that, how does that play in Texas? And that and- I mean, that's a little complicated because there are a lot of folks along the border who really want border security, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know what um, talking about exi- getting rid of existing border walls in Texas would be like, because even people like Henry Cuellar would talk about, um, he's a Democrat from a border district, that they... Former you know, guest of the show. Huh? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he would talk about that, you know, they worked to like build a levee wall in, in part of his district that was successful there. So... I don't know. Maybe it hasn't been a work walked that back a little bit that he wouldn't necessarily tear down the walls that already exist in Texas. I think yeah. that was a, maybe a one off. Yeah. I'm not sure how well that would play in Texas. 
So when we, when we talk about, you know, the wall and the border wall and Donald Trump talking about everything that's pouring across the border, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm always curious about sort of the general reception of those type of ideas where it matters the most, which, of course, would be in Texas. So how is that playing in terms of building a wall across the entire state of Texas that Trump is trying to talk about? I don't think anybody in Texas takes that literally. I don't think that there's anyone who I don't think anybody that, should. Yeah, no, well, probably no one at all who takes that literally that there would be a border across the entire Mexico border because that, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of people who live far enough away from the border, Fort Worth is hours and hours away from the Mexico border, that have never been there themselves, but I don't think anyone's taking it that literally. Yeah, yeah. It's like two people talking about the exact opposites on an issue that like everyone is somewhat in the middle on. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what, what we said during the the second fight to avoid the government shutdown after the government had shut down is you know we we sort of talked about it on air one day and it's like there are parts of the border that could be better fortified does it mean you build an entire wall across the entire state of Texas probably not we were talking to um Michael Burgess the other day about the uh, child detention camps and like the divide between what is okay to say um it, like there's just no middle ground. He went down there. He was actually asked to go to the homestead camp with by um, Health and Human Services mm. with a bunch of Democrats. Mm. And he had been down to see the crisis in 2014. And his takeaway was, wow, these camps are so much better than they were in 2014. They're offering medical service. They're like giving these. And and, and the Democrats were like, they're prisons. And I, like there's just no middle ground. You're seeing the same exact thing and coming away with just two totally. He said. Something like, it's like we were on different planets. I'm like, yes. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about where we are. So, all right, Beto O'Rourke may or may not run for president. He said he's going to uh, uh, make some sort of announcement by the end of next month, I believe. So maybe he runs, maybe he doesn't. But if he doesn't run for president, he could always run for senator, right? He's already been to every county. Yeah, yeah. He could do that again. Yeah, and he would run against John Cornyn. Correct. Two-time NRSC chair, likes politics. I mean, he's – I'll give him this. He's gunning for some, some some big game, right? Like he tried to take down Ted Cruz, and if he, and he goes against John Cornyn, uh, that, would be, that would be a big deal. Uh, you, Trump yesterday tweeted, Senator John Cornyn has done an outstanding job for the people of Texas. He is strong on crime, the border, the Second Amendment, and loves our military and vets. John has my complete and total endorsement, make America great again. So he's got the Trump endorsement for whatever that's worth. He asked for it, according to our colleagues or our friends down at the Houston Chronicle. Really? Mm-hmm. So the curious case of Beto O'Rourke: Will he run for president or will he run for Senate? What's what 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 what's your instinct on that? What do you think he's going to do? I have no idea. Has he signaled I mean, either way at all? I mean, he's he's kept it pretty close to the vest. He packed uh, the. Willie Nelson concert in Austin. I feel like he's been there, done that on the Senate race once you've been to every county. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know about this Beto O'Rourke character. I just don't know. I, I think he's exciting and I think he's a, a force for good, but like, pick where you're going to go and then go for it. You know what I mean? Well, he has been away from home for two years. He was. Doing like three events a day back in um, November of 2017. I remember going to see him like the day before Thanksgiving when I was in town visiting family and thinking like, 
when is this guy going to go home for Thanksgiving? It's still a year out. <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, so look, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum, all sort of rising Democratic stars who all lost. And I think a big factor in all of their races that they lost was voter suppression. Uh, and you wrote about how Democrats are actually going to address this and face this head on, and it's going to start right in Texas, right? Well, national Democrats are going to try to address it in Texas. In yeah. Texas, this is, um, I was at a rally for the Northeast Tarrant County Tea Party um, before Election Day in 2018, where they talked about um, that this is like the deciding part of the election, that this is going to, you know, they need to sign up poll watchers because voter fraud is going to steal the election and took a victory lap on the idea that they'd really brought it into the mainstream. Yeah. They were like, when we started talking about this, it was like a tinfoil hat thing. Now we've made arrests and we have found voter fraud, including in Tarrant County. They made um, four arrests of women who, um, it was like a, a people who were going and getting votes from elderly people. And they said, we've brought this into the mainstream. We've exposed voter fraud for what it is. So now we can go after it further. And that was... And you've seen that happen quite um, expressively in Texas. Yeah. You know, it, what, what was curious to me, though, is, you know, after Stacey Abrams lost, she made a point and said, I'm going to concede, but I do not concede that I lost a fair election. This this election was rigged. Uh, Beto O'Rourke didn't do that. He didn't talk about that at all in Texas. Why? I don't know the answer to that. Is that what people want to hear after... A loss. I mean, that's I, I, that's a good that's a good point. I'm not sure, but I mean, look, there were multiple reports about, you know, uh, some of the suppression in Texas. Sure, and maybe that. Um, in and, and it was such a close race too that you have to wonder. I'm sure that is nothing new in Texas, and probably um, I don't know why he wouldn't address that in his speech, except for perhaps having future ambitions. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was just curious to me because I think that it's something that he could absolutely uh, have talked about and brought some attention to. Well, counterpoint, do you think that Stacey Abrams made the right move by bringing that up again later in her post State of the Union address? I do. Yeah, I do. I think it's I think it's I think that it's a problem that uh, Democrats have to address uh, across the country, and I think she was probably the most visible. Uh, victim of that. I'm not saying that Beto O'Rourke lost purely because of voter suppression. It was an uphill battle to begin with, right, for him. Uh, and I think he ran a really, really good campaign, but even a really, really good campaign for a Democrat in Texas is kind of tough. But we're in a close race. I keep thinking about uh, in maybe August of 2018, we joked about Ted Cruz had a rally in North Texas where he would brought up like Beto O'Rourke's ad and put it on the big screen. And yeah. it was like, wow. But truly the biggest obstacle in Texas for Republicans was convincing people that he could lose. Yeah. He was right in doing that. And now you see John Cornyn following a similar, and all of these Texans, people who would, you know, I feel like I've been yelled at for Texan, by Texans Republicans for writing about their races, including that Senate race at times. Now that is not the case at all. People are willing to at least, you know, they, well, it's in their interest to convince people that it's going to be a tough race and also, you know, willing to engage in a way that they weren't before. You know, the first time that, that it, this really uh, started to become an issue, this next topic I want to ask you about, is is Democrats winning Texas as a state in a presidential election, uh, was Hillary Clinton. There were, you know, she went to campaign in Texas and, and notoriously kind of said, I believe we can win in Texas. Uh, 
Um, she didn't. Um, I'm not sure how purple of a state Texas is. I, like I said, I lived in Texas. And everything I know about it, it's a pretty red state. So how is Texas going to play into the 2020 primary and election? Well, it's on Super Tuesday, so yeah. it'll be a primary state. Uh, I feel like more often our donors are a factor in these races. Sure. And Houston and Dallas are the biggest donor hubs for both parties. Houston, I think, is the, the biggest metro area for Trump's reelection, hence his event in Houston. I don't know how much that had to do with Ted Cruz's reelection or his own uh, personal interest in stopping in Houston. Sure. Um, but... Uh, Yes, it depends on who's at the top of the ticket. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, I, I guess that's a good point. It's such an expensive state. That's the the problem. Who has the money to invest in Texas? It's three other states. It's five other states. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. I, I mean, it, that, that that's a really – I mean, to think about the amount of money you would have to have to paper a state like Texas is, is astronomical. We asked that question so many times during the Senate race. Like how – given the Senate map – uh, and how close it could be, what would it take for national Democrats to put something into that race? Yeah. And the answer was just like, never. They, well, from Texas, people were like, it'll never happen. We'll have to have our own super PAC. We'll have to do it here ourselves. And eventually it, they did have some investment from Senate Majority PAC in like a, a shadowy behind the scenes way at the end, which was really unusual. Yeah. Um, but again, both sides have such um, strong donor bases there. I think there is always a like desire among donors to hear that people are taking Texas seriously. I think that's what it's really all about. Yeah, yeah that's really what it's all about. Uh, but of course, this year is going to be a little bit different because you have a, a presidential candidate from Texas, uh, and Julian Castro. Sure, you can't say that Texas wouldn't be a part of either of he or Beto O'Rourke's maps. I think he has said that his own personal map would be something like a Texas, Arizona, Florida. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he he talked about, he announced his presidential run, Julian Castro, in Texas. You know, I lived in Texas when his twin brother stood in for him at that Riverwalk parade, <laughs> which was amazing. It's still, like, one of my favorite stories in all of politics because it's, like, a movie script, but they actually did it. He and his brother, Joaquin Castro, would swap places when the other one couldn't be at an event. He would just show up as the mayor of San Antonio. Why hasn't anyone thought of that on the presidential scale before? Right? Or just generally in politics. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. And they're both political people, right? Sure. So it's not like it would be, you know, completely out of left field for him to make a comment on something political. But know. some people know the difference between the two. I don't have a twin. Maybe that's offensive to suggest that twins should switch places, but it sounds like a good <laughs> idea to me. Is that? Yeah, you know what? I didn't think of it that way. That might be some sort of faux pas. Yeah. Sorry, twins. We've offended twins as well. Uh, remember, by the way, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, uh, if you want to get your comments in there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I never really fully believed the whole idea that Texas could be a purple state or a democratic state, at least in the 2016 election. I never thought that was a real thing. Let me give you my pitch. Um, we talked a lot about, so Fort Worth is Tarrant County. It's the largest urban conservative stronghold in the country, sort of matches the rest of the state demographically mm -hmm. and, and the way it's trending. Uh, and actually, you know, we talked about how this was such a bellwether of the state. It flipped blue in 2018. It went for better or worse. And it's, uh, yes. you know, it, I guess that's the bigger trend happening all across Texas is the, the urban areas are just so blue. And Tarrant County is the, the holdout among them. Has a Republican governor who's on the ballot this May. 
but um, that in itself, it, I mean, is a startling point from 2018. And wasn't it, if, if, I'm, if memory serves me correctly, wasn't there just like a total upheaval of a judge judges' elections in Texas in 2018? Like it just, there were a lot of judges that were just completely thrown out that were considered to be and perceived to be right-wing judges. I think one in Houston by like a 27-year-old. <laughs> um, Imagine having that be your judge. <laughs> well, I mean, what, Democrats targeted a, a handful of House races in Texas last year. And then on election night, the ones that came between three and five points, there were three or four more that had no outside funding. There was one in North Texas, uh, Kenny Marchant's seat, that is was a three-point race. The woman raised like $100,000. And it's now on the Cook Reports toss-up list. Wow. That wasn't even a target last year. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago when Wendy Davis was going to be the big progressive movement in Texas, and she fell short, but that might have been like the beginning of something uh, in Texas that could actually see it turn a little more uh, for Democrats. So having this conversation with someone yesterday, if she and better work had switched places would they have had the same outcomes like if it had been him in that year and her in this year would they have just had the same exact that's a good question i don't know i really don't know i think you know i i think that part of the thing that pushes politics so much these days is just a, just a uh, uh hatred is a strong word but a dislike of donald trump and the policies right and like beto o'rourke while he's substantive on the issues, it was very clear that he was an anti-Donald Trump candidate, right? And I think that that is a very, very powerful force for Democratic politicians. You know, the first part of his campaign was all through rural Texas. And yeah. I saw him out in, like, Graham, Texas and tiny towns. And his crowd was older white people who were uh, maybe former Democrats who don't really vote anymore, but people who were coming out of the woodworks uh, and it was like that civility in politics, like they're just so fed up with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, too, for shutting down the government. And like they hadn't been politically active in so long. And that was like the first whole year of his campaign. And someone made the point to me that like that's critical in Texas because those are the people who put up the signs and make the phone calls. It's like the infrastructure that just hasn't been there for a long time. But they aren't new voters. They were not like the, you know, the sleeping Latino base that people needed to activate. And that right. did come later. But that in itself um was kind of incredible to see him pull out, you know, 150 people in a tiny town on a at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. It, it also speaks to something that I've talked about for a long, long time, right? It, it Having grown up near fairly rural areas, a lot of these people voted for Donald Trump because they felt like they really didn't have another choice. And Democrats have not been great at speaking to those people for a long, long time, like a really long time. And it certainly didn't happen in 2016. Uh, and really tough to win unless you can convince those people to vote for you. Yeah, and I think a part of his speech... Uh, and Texas is a big state. There's a lot of right. rural areas in Texas. Right, right. And he had lots to talk about, about working with Republicans on um, like veterans issues and on Capitol Hill. And, and that was a big part of his speech at the time. He would even talk up some of Trump's cabinet secretaries at the time. It, like, yeah. I don't think that that totally like, uh, disappeared from his speech, but his initial pitch to folks in Texas was not a... Um, it wasn't a, a never Trump, or a, um, sorry, I don't want to say it wasn't never Trump, but it was not as like, it wasn't a fire breathing liberal speech. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think that, that a lot of Democrats sort of figured that out. You can't just be against Trump, you have to be for something. 
right? Anybody can be against Trump. You have to be for something. And I think that that he saw that and and didn't work out super well. I mean, it worked out fairly well, but it didn't work out well enough. Let me put it that way. You make a good point about the wall, though. I mean, what he's describing is probably just as ridiculous as building a wall across, I mean, to go through and tear down and have completely open borders. And that is like as it's as not likely to happen as building a wall across the entire yeah. border but yeah, it is yeah, yeah. like what people want to hear yeah who yeah. are who dislike trump that is you want to hear the absolute opposite of what trump has to say we will see what beto o'rourke does with his run for president uh in, in a matter of days we should get an, an announcement from him whether he's going to run or whether he is going to sit it out washington correspondent for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Andrea Drush. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. You can follow her on Twitter at Andrea Drush, D-R-U-S-C-H. Uh, and I'm Peter Ogburn. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a very quick break. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in today as we head into the weekend. One hour left. It's going to be a good one, folks. I can feel it. I can feel it. Coming up, we're going to talk to uh, Lee Zhou from Vox. She's a congressional reporter, but she's also written a lot about... Uh, 2020. So if you were waiting to uh, jump into our uh, mentions to yell at us about the 2020 candidates, you're going to get your chance here very soon. I promise. Uh, so just 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 get your tweets ready, <laughs> lined up and ready to go. So we're going to talk to Lee here in just a little while. Uh, Ray Rogers running the board. Ray, I have to ask you, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, this morning, all I had was a cup of coffee. That's it. That's it. But that's when I get good. home, that's I'll, not good, you I know. always eat when I get home. You know, that's not good. You gotta eat. You eat breakfast early on. Kickstarts the metabolism. Right. Yeah, right? right in. It's a thing. Well, there's a new study, a nutritionist. So some people just eat cereal, right? Like my kids are cereal kids, but we don't get the sugary cereals. Uh, we, those are those are outlawed. Unless we're on vacation, then we get the sugary. Cereals. Then obviously it's the yeah, only. You're gonna, yeah, yeah, but but we don't do the sugary cereals. But but a lot of people eat cereal. A nutritionist came out and said that actually, if you want to eat something healthier than cereal for breakfast, you might as well just eat pizza. Literally, that's what this nutritionist said. Well, our friend Ben from Ben and Jerry's is always like, people scoff when I'm like, eat ice cream for breakfast, but how is that different than eating a bowl of cereal? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, this nutritionist says that pizza is better for you than cereal to have for breakfast. They say that a slice, one slice of pizza has roughly the same amount of calories as a bowl of cereal with whole milk. So the calories, it's neutral. But- there's more protein in a slice of pizza, which is good. It keeps you f- feeling fuller for longer. And there's no sugar crash. 
You don't have to worry about the crash from all the 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 sugars that you had with your with your cereal. So he says there are healthier things that you can eat, but if you're going to eat a slice of uh, or if you're going to eat a bowl of cereal, you might as well just have a slice of pizza. And you know what I say? Salute. Salute. I mean, that sounds like a better breakfast to me. But what if you're eating like a healthy version that's like whole wheat cereal with like nuts? It seems like that's more nutrient dense. It it, it probably is. And I'm not saying that this guy is a quack, but don't eat pizza for breakfast. I want to be clear. Like, I think it's an interesting idea, but I'm not advocating that anybody eat pizza for breakfast. Uh, but just throwing it out there. You know, the Academy Awards are this weekend. Do you have a pick for best picture? I really love Roma. Okay, I have to tell you something. I finally sat down to watch Roma. Uh, night before last. We haven't talked about this yet. So No, I just sat down seat. to watch it. Uh, I made it about 10 minutes in, and I had to turn it off. But here's, here's the thing. Really? Why? Here, let, me, let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. I'm into the movie. I think it looks great. I love the director. I love the story. But I feel like to watch that movie, it's going to take a real commitment for me. Like, I'm going to have to lock in. And it was the end of a long day, and I was not prepared to sit down and watch it. It was a, like... That's fair. Yeah, but I'm going to watch it, and it looks amazing. The direction of that movie, the cinematography, is really, really beautiful. So far, I'm I'm in. I, I want to watch it, but I, I just I couldn't. What's and your I, pick? So I have a hot take, and this, uh, my favorite movie, what I think is the best picture of the year, is a movie that's not even nominated, uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs which I loved on Netflix. Yeah, you've mentioned it. I have yet to watch it, but it is on my list. It's the Coen Brothers. I love the Coen Brothers. Uh, and it's also just extremely my kind of movie. Of the ones that are nominated, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Vice, Star is Born, Roma, Black Klansman, and The Black Panther, uh, my favorite out of that is Black Klansman. And I don't love Spike Lee movies typically. It this is an excellent, an movie. excellent, excellent movie. I love Black Panther, too, but I don't think it should be in the running for Best Picture. But I loved it. Uh, what do I think will win? I think probably uh, Roma will win. But I haven't seen it I think it that's yet. about right. Yeah, right? All right. Uh, we'll talk about more than just the Oscars uh, coming up here on the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press all day today. We got one hour left. We're going to be joined by Vox's uh, Lee Joe here in just a couple of moments. We'll get her right in as soon as she gets here. Uh, by the way, I just, you know, uh, dur during that little break, I looked up and here we are on CNN. We're talking about Jesse Smollett again. Uh, if you missed the news uh, yesterday, the Chicago Police Department held a press conference where they announced that he is being charged with multiple counts of falsifying a police report. He said that he was attacked by uh, two men wearing MAGA hats who put a noose around his neck and uh, poured bleach on him. And it turns out... Uh, uh, he hired two men to do this to him because he was upset he wasn't getting paid enough money. That's really all I have to say about the story. I think it's a sad story. I think it's a very depressing story. I think uh, 
he has a lot of problems. Um, but as I mentioned in the last hour, uh, Donald Trump came out and talked about it. There was wall-to-wall coverage on cable news. Uh, every news website that you went to, that was the leading story yesterday. And not many people are talking about this lieutenant from the Coast Guard who decided that he was going to kill as many Democratic politicians as he could, stockpiled weapons, searched for how to find members of Congress in Washington, D.C. He lived just outside of Washington, D.C. in Silver Spring, Maryland, the D.C. area, uh, and was absolutely preparing himself to go on a killing spree, which is a real threat, by the way. This isn't a... uh, uh, you know, Jesse Smollett type of story that was fabricated. I mean, this guy has been arrested and charged, and the prosecutors have begun making their case uh, against this guy, Mr. Hansen. Uh, by the way, before we went to break, Ray, we were talking about our favorite movies of the year because the Oscars are this weekend. Uh, Michelle jumped into my menchies right away to back me up. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs was her pick. Okay, 30-second elevator pitch, because I think a lot of people have not heard of this film. Go. All right. The Coen brothers are amazing, and they've directed some of the greatest movies of all time. This is my favorite movie that they've ever done. Wow. This is my favorite movie that, they ever, that they've ever done. It's a Western, which I love, and I think a lot of Westerns. There have been a lot, a lot of Westerns in history that are great. But it is an existential meditation on death. Okay, and it's told in, like, vignette-style Different verse. stories. Different yeah. stories. And so uh, some of them are better than others. And the first one is basically just like, it's almost like a cartoon. It's cartoonish, just about, you know, uh, uh, well, again, it's, it's all about death in some way or, or another. My favorite is there's essentially a one-man act, and it's just Tom Waits playing a prospector in the role that Tom Waits was born to play. He plays a prospector. Um, but, there, I mean, look, there are a lot of big names in it, and it, it's uh, it's incredibly well-directed. It's incredibly well-acted. I just, I love it. I love it. I've I've watched it probably five times now. I've watched it 24 times. <laughs> I didn't watch it 24 times. Um, I didn't watch it 24 times. I've watched it with the kids. The kids love like it? it. They loved it. And I'm sure it would be interesting to see what young young adults slash children take away from this versus you, a grown man. It's completely different. I could, I mean, like the the first episode shows sort of the fleeting nature of of how quickly things can change. You're on top of the world, and sure. all of a sudden you're dead. But it's told in a very funny way, and so the kids appreciated that. Whereas, uh, you know, I took something completely different from it. Of course. Yeah, I think that movies like that that are able to elicit an emotional response from the audience, no matter the age, are really powerful works of art. So I am excited to watch this film. And you know what's great about it is? I think it's like it's over two hours long. It's like two and a half hours long. But you could just watch it There are lots of pause points, right? There are lots of pieces. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's 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 great. It's a great, great movie. Um. Do I think it's – well, it's not even nominated for Best Picture of the Year. It's got a couple of Academy Award nominations. But the big one, of course, is Roma that Netflix did uh, uh, that, that that could actually win. That could actually win. I kind of have a feeling that this is going to be the year that Netflix gets their Best Picture win. I'm feeling it too. And 
I think that it's deserved. I think that Roma is a deserving piece. I, like I said, I, I mentioned before I we went to break there that I, I tried to watch it the other night, and I just wasn't in the mental headspace. So there to are lots it. of different components just for our audience who hasn't seen it. It's um, a film shot in black and white, which is a little bit jarring because we're so used to seeing things in Technicolor yeah. and like bright, vivid colors. Um, it's in Spanish, so unless yep. you are a Spanish speaker, you'll be reading it via subtitles, which yep. adds another layer of attention. Um, but all of these different components, as an American viewer who is not fluent in Spanish, they really, I guess, drew out some of the more subtle points of the film. Yeah. And the way that it was directed in the cinematography, as I said, it to me, it was a very, very beautifully done movie. I watched, like I said, 10 minutes, and it was a beautiful 10 minutes, but I realized that I did not have the mental stamina to watch it. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to watch it uh, this weekend uh, if I get the chance. So so there. That's that's my take on the Oscars. I really like Black Klansman, too, which is nominated for Best Picture. Okay, so Denzel Washington's son yeah. was just a superb actor he's amazing he's amazing right and i love adam driver i know that he's another sort of uh figure that elicits strong responses on both ends of the spectrum he's but i thought that this was one of his strongest roles today yeah he's great in the movie he's great in the movie and uh, you know it's uh, i would love to see spike lee finally win you know uh in the oscars so anyway we'll see what happens we'll have a full report when we come back on Monday. Uh, but for now, we're going to talk some politics. Uh, Lee Jo is here from uh, Vox. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a busy time, right? Yeah, yeah. That was quite the transition. Yeah, Oscar right? straight to politics. Yeah, we could talk Oscars if you'd rather. I'm, I'm happy to keep going. Uh, I need to you. catch up on some of the movies. Okay, so, so you yeah. don't have a pick for yeah, Best Picture. Not yet. Not okay, yet. all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, you'll have to come back to us uh, after you watch some and talk about it. <laughs> Um, God, there's so much stuff going on. There's so much stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I, I want to first of all talk a little 2020 with you mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you've written about a couple of different candidates. I think probably the one that takes up all the oxygen in the room this week is, of course, Bernard Sanders. Right. Yeah. He's back. He's back. <laughs> He's back. Uh, and as you point out in your headline this time, it's he's a front runner. Mm -hmm. He's no longer going to be the underdog. He's no longer running against the establishment. Yeah. Um, I, I, we here on the show had sort of had this sort of back and forth about whether or not Bernie had the juice that he had in 2015 and 2016. Will people still be as excited about Bernie Sanders? Well, you look at his fundraising numbers and you have to say people are still very much excited about Bernie Sanders. So, you know, I never totally bought this idea that it's going to be that much different for Bernie because he's mm -hmm. not the only progressive in the race this time around or the only like far left progressive in the race. Right. Because I think he's owned that space for, for quite some time. So how is this election going to be different for Bernie than the last time around? I think the fact that he's a known entity is a huge shift for him yeah. because he already has the space. He can kind of, a lot of them still love him to your point and he can continue to build on that. And I also think he can point to a ton of achievements between the last cycle and this cycle in terms of how he's shaped the policy for the party at large. Yeah. And I feel like that's significant and that I think a lot of people last time were maybe skeptical of him because he was about starting this revolution, but there wasn't that much he could point to specifically, you right. know, that like kind of 
build that narrative. And this time he can be like, well, people are talking about Medicare for all. Like everyone is talking about it. Everyone's talking about free college, like all of these ideas that were really things he brought to the forefront. It's it's really amazing how out there people thought he was in 2015. And now it is absolutely mainstream for the party. You know, I, I, I also had some doubts about how strong of a candidacy Bernie would have because he did have some problems mm -hmm. in 2016. And again, I'll give him credit. He addressed them head on. Like the day he announced, he said, we ran a campaign that was too male oriented. Mm -hmm. We didn't pay enough attention to people of people of color. Um, they didn't pay enough. You know, they, he admits that. He said yeah. it right off the yeah. bat, which I think is a powerful thing. Right. And, and, you know, we've said on the show, every single Democratic candidate has a problem, mm -hmm. at least a problem, mm -hmm. right? And they have to address it. And they have to confront it. And this was one of Bernie's problems, and he confronted it and he addressed it. And they thought he did it in a pretty powerful way. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Um, I think there was a question in 2016, is he just about you know economic inequality, which, to be fair, massive topic. Lots of areas, I think, where his policies could do a lot of good. But this time around, I think... The campaign seems cognizant that there's kind of this larger story that you have to tell about how his policies affect, you know, different mm -hmm. groups of people. And yeah. Like that. And and I thought it was uh, important and interesting. Last night he was on Chris Hayes and Chris Hayes asked him, you know, I talked about this earlier, but it's like this is the thing. Donald Trump has started this trend where everybody feels like they have to say on day one of my presidency, I will do blank. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Amy Klobuchar, I forgot what she said she was going to do on day one, mm -hmm. but like they're all sort of saying, on day one, I will do this. And Bernie said, on day one, I will address climate change and I will address the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. We'll see if right. he's as successful as Donald Trump was sure. in you know, revealing Obamacare <laughs> on day one, yeah. like he said he was going to do. Um, but I, this might be a controversial statement. And again, RIP my menchies on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I think at this point, Bernie Sanders is the front runner. Mm -hmm. Granted, we're a long ways out and there's a long way to go, but he's the one to beat at this point, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. And I mean, I think the polling data right now supports what you said. And I also think just the fact that he has such high name recognition from last time is helping him at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But to your point, Lee, I think that his success this time around really does hinge on his ability to make the connection between economic disparity between the wealthy and the poor and how that intersects with race and gender. Absolutely. And so far, I think that he is addressing those two things as much as he can. I mean, there's more to come. There's a long time before we head. Long way to go. Yeah. A very yeah. long way to go. There's yeah. a long way to go. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting to me that a lot of the people that got out in front with announcing their candidacy were the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Women got way out in front. Elizabeth Warren right. was out there on New Year's Eve, um, followed by, you know, Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, uh, Amy Klobuchar. And so now we're just kind of like sitting around waiting for the white guys. <laughs> like, are they going to get in or not? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys saw there was, I think it was a graphic from MSNBC. Yeah. Where it was, yeah. Look, I, I have to yeah. say, MSNBC got like some criticism for that, and they deserve some of it. Mm -hmm. But also, like, they're just a bunch of white guys sitting around trying to figure out what they want to do at this point. Right. So, like, that is kind of – I don't want to say that that's all that's left because there mm -hmm. are a lot of other people that are out there that have been rumored. Uh, but, like, case in point, Joe Biden. Right. Yeah. Still not in the race. Might not get into the race. And you wrote about um, what could happen if Joe Biden does not run. 
Yes. For the presidency. Yeah. It's really kind of amazing that people just expected him to run mm -hmm. a year ago, and now he might not even run. Right. Right? Yeah. So yeah. what could happen if he doesn't run? Yeah. I mean, I think what has been interesting to see is he is ahead in the polls by so much kind yeah. of on average, like at least 10 percentage points. And so people are like, oh, is he the front runner? But I think a lot of people are saying that advantage is really driven by the fact that people know who he is yeah. and he has really high favorability from his time in the Obama administration. And so when you do a poll and you don't suggest any candidates right. and you're just like write in your favorite person yeah. you know he still has a lead but that lead goes down significantly yeah. he was obama's buddy i like right, him right right yeah, uncle right. joe like <laughs> right, uncle right, joe right, right. <laughs> yeah you know i there was a time not that long ago probably about a year ago a little less that i just expected him to run mm -hmm. and i thought if he ran he, it would almost be like a Hillary Clinton situation. He would clear the field, mm -hmm. right? Like Joe Biden gets in, he's the candidate. Right. And uh, the Democrats just immediately start running with Joe Biden. And I thought that Joe Biden could probably beat Donald Trump. I'm not so sure about that now. Mm -hmm. And part of it has to do with how far left the Democratic Party has come in yeah. a matter of like two years. Right. And I think if you look at Joe Biden through that scope, He's got some problems. Right. He has a ton of baggage, I think, from before he was vice president, when he problems. was senator. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think he's going to definitely have to deal with that. And that's something that a lot of the younger candidates um, who were not around for maybe the vote on the Iraq war do not have to answer for, where he's definitely got a long, long record that he you know, has to respond to. Kamala Harris has gotten a lot of criticism to which she hasn't had a great answer to yet mm -hmm. about her prosecutorial background. Right. Joe Biden. Talk about like the crime bill yeah. and all that stuff. Like he deserves the same amount of scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think the reason he hasn't gotten it yet is because he hasn't, he's not in the race yet. Yeah. And then no, once fair. that happens, you're going to see, I think, a lot more focus on that. But it also gets to just our short attention span. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden's cool. He, he, you know, he has beer with Obama. Like that's his buddy. Right. And like, you just look a little farther back and like yeah. there are some problems there are some problems <laughs> yeah okay so i talk about you know how far left the democratic party has come um you know you you sort of have almost everybody running on medicare for all mm -hmm. now which was a crazy idea just two years ago three years ago um I say almost everybody. Yeah. Not everybody. <laughs> Amy Klobuchar is right. has, is positioning herself as the sort of centrist in the race. Mm -hmm. um, as she says, she's not a centrist. She's just a pragmatist. Yep. She said in, in that uh, CNN uh, town hall uh, last week, I guess it was. So when you're talking about some of the Democrats, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who were sort of farther left, they talk about Medicare for all, they talk about free college. Amy Klobuchar is not there on those things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. How is that being received? I think it is yet to see, I think, exactly how that's going to play out. She definitely, when you look at polling data, is trailing everyone. Part of that, I think, is because people aren't as familiar with who she is. Um, but I think... On top of that, she's just trying to carve out a lane where she's not like directly duking it out with Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, right. Joe Rand, Warren, everyone who's announced this far. So it's interesting because I think her positioning has set her apart, um, but it's unclear if it's set her apart in a good way or if it's set her apart in a way that's going to really offend the progressive base and not help her during the primaries. It's interesting that when you ask Republicans who they like the most out of the Democratic field, 
It's Amy Klobuchar. They love Amy Klobuchar. They love Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I know, I mean, I kind of get why. Right. But I'm also just kind of like, what, what is that all about? Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, I do think there's something to be said for someone who is like, I am bipartisan. I'm willing to work with other people in a time when like that is super rare and yeah. just not part of our political conversation at all. So I feel like that's appealing. And I think she has really kind of said, I've done the most. Like, she's like, I've done 24 bills under Donald Trump. Like, I have just, like, this record of getting things done instead of kind of being like, I'm going to promote a policy that might take a longer time to implement or something like that. But the here's what I would say, just to play devil's avocado. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that those 24 bills or all the stuff that she's done are visible enough for Democrats to care about. I think that totally. de- I, I think, present company included, <laughs> people who vote in the Democratic primary are rabid mm-hmm. and they want to see something not normal and they want to see big change yeah you know what i mean yeah i, I mean and i think the nickname that is kind of have, has been given to her is the senator of small things because people accuse her of not being willing to s- stick her neck out when it's an issue that's kind of there's more at stake what a ter- what a, what what's just like a net like a nasty <laughs> nickname you yeah. know like I, who would want that nickname that's yep. just so sort of <laughs> Pat, not passive aggressive. It's just kind of like just such a smack. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, she doesn't love it. <laughs> I think she's pushed back on What's it. better, the senator of small things or the snow woman? <laughs> the Donald Trump gave her the nickname the snow woman. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, both I think not great, but I think at least for the second one, she kind of owns that Minnesota. Like that event was positioned to make her, you know, look like. Was that event completely yeah. bonkers? <laughs> it looked insane. And like we talked about, like if you ha- if, to have a successful rollout, mm-hmm. part of the plan is to have a good backup plan. The the snow <laughs> building up on her as she spoke. Right, right. I mean, look, I'll give her credit. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not that tough. <laughs> uh, I know it felt it felt very much like this made for like the internet like meme moment almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I love that there were like some of the reporters that were there, and you know they had to get there early. And yeah, you have to stand outside for that, and you have to wait, and they're just getting just pummeled with with snow. We yeah. called it a blizzard on the show, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of people from Minnesota call us out and be like, "That's not a blizzard." Yeah. <laughs> In Minnesota, that's a dusting, <laughs> a light dusting. Yeah. Um, I think it was funny. I think it was Tina Smith, the other senator, somebody who was like, in Minnesota, like, it's a heat wave. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I yeah, was exactly. like, okay. <laughs> this cool. is balmy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I think we got the 2020 stuff pretty well covered, right? Mm-hmm. Are we leaving anything off the table? I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand has been kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still waiting on... On guys like, you know, Beto O'Rourke to jump in. Elizabeth Warren said something really interesting yesterday. Uh, Earlier this week, she talked about universal child care, which, Mm -hmm. hell yeah. Yeah. Um, She also talked about reparations yesterday, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a a big step for any Democratic candidate to make and a potentially controversial one. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Bernie Sanders didn't even go that far uh, right. when he was asked about it in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays. Right, right. And I think that ties back to what we were talking about earlier about how the intersection of economic justice, racial justice, gender yeah. equity is really going to be the focus this time around. And I yeah. think some of these policy positions or shifts kind of I think speak to that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll 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 see. Uh, 
how that plays. Okay, let's let's switch gears. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. We, we, I think we've covered the 2020 <laughs> landscape pretty well. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, the national emergency, okay. which you have also written about. Yep. Donald Trump in a um, fascinating uh, – I don't know what you'd call it. Was it a press conference? Was it just a statement from the Rose Garden? It was mm-hmm. one week ago today uh, that he announced that he was going to uh, – uh, sign this national emergency. How are the House Democrats handling this? Because you've written about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the House Democrats have already said they're going to do whatever they can to stop this emergency. And the first step you're seeing from them is they're going to introduce a resolution that would basically terminate the emergency if it's able to pass both the House and the Senate. Right now, the question is whether it will be able to do that because the House Democrats have a very firm majority, no problem there. But in the Senate, in order to get those 51 votes, the 47-member Democratic caucus would have to stay united and they would need another four Republicans to join them. And that's really what's up in the air right now. It, you know, it, it, we talked. We've talked about this a lot, actually, about how well Nancy Pelosi handled this mm-hmm. uh, situation with Donald Trump. Really backed him into a corner to where the only thing that he could do was declare this national emergency. You know, she famously said, "We'll give him one dollar." Yeah, yeah. We'll give him a dollar. Um, and Donald Trump uh, gloated about it. So, well, I got more than a dollar. I got one point billion. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was still not enough. Um, and he predicted, of course, this is going to go to the courts, and mm-hmm. it, it is going to the courts. Uh, but, you know, I just have to say Nancy Pelosi was the only person that could have handled this as well as it was handled, mm-hmm. I think. You know, yeah. and the yeah. House Democrats, I think, I, I'm a centrist. I think mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi was the right person to be uh, Speaker of the House, but also I'm fine with people challenging her a little bit. That's okay. I guess sure. that makes me a centrist. <laughs> Uh, but like, just masterfully done, right? Mm-hmm. And they just she he, he Trump got completely outplayed on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the meantime, there were some like progressives that weren't on board with even this compromise deal. Yeah, and they pushed back on that a little bit, right? Right, right. I think all kind of like the well-known freshmen, like yeah. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Rashida Tlaib. A lot of those people were saying, "Listen, this bill actually gives more money to DHS. Yeah. Also, it doesn't really do that much to curb what ICE is doing in terms of detention um, and like reducing the amount of people that ICE can detain." So there were a lot of questions there, and they pushed back on it. Um, interestingly, in the Senate, because of what we talked about, this 2020 shift to the left, you actually saw a lot of 2020 people, um, yeah. including Harris, um, Gillibrand, um, voting against the bill also. Yeah. Um, of course, this is all uh, with the backdrop of the longest shutdown in, in America just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the issues, because everybody's going to get back pay, Almost. Right. The federal contractors are not going to get back pay. And that was a real sticking point for Republicans. They really did not want to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You spoke to several Senate Republicans about the back pay. Where are we with that? It feels like we're still at somewhat of an impasse. I think a lot of the pushback I know has been related to the potential cost around implementing the program, the administrative cost of having to pay people back. I think Democrats say that that's not true, that there's already a mechanism for agencies to give money back to contractors after shutdowns, you know, in another situation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. The other thing I think is because they are not federal employees, there just is this feeling that there's not a responsibility necessarily for the government to have to, you know, make this happen and make it equitable for them. 
it's pretty ghoulish yeah. that that this is happening in, in this way, right? Because the one thing that uh, the government shutdown, the longest government shutdown in American history, proved is just how fine a line Americans are from utter financial collapse. Yeah, yeah. You right, know? right. And look, these federal contractors are no different than any other government employee. And if we're not going to pay them, that's just, I think, shameful. Yeah. I think absolutely shameful. Right. And, and, and this is not just something that like, oh, we had to get this legislation through so we didn't get a chance to address this. They actively said, no, mm-hmm. we don't want to pay these contractors back, which is grotesque, I yeah. think. Yeah, no, I, it, it's awful. It, yeah. I, I mean, I think for contractors, it's as many as 580,000 could be affected in this way. Wow. And I also think it's just like for anyone, if you envision yourself in a position where you've missed two paychecks, like even if you're in a place where you have a My ton God. of savings or yeah. what have you, like that is just crazy. Like I just feel like that would absolutely, you know, hit you hard financially no matter what. The the story that I, uh, or the, the number that I keep hearing is most Americans, the majority of Americans, are $400 away mm-hmm. from having, like, nothing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, a lot of people don't have a savings account. They don't have a lot of, a ton of money, ton of extra money in their checking account. And so if you were hit with a $400 expenditure, that would wipe you out, mm-hmm. which is horrifying. Yeah, Hor- right. It should be horrifying right. to everybody. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see if they get this worked out. I'm yeah. not optimistic. Yeah. I hate to yeah. say it. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah. First time here. I, yes. I certainly hope it won't be your last. <laughs> thank uh, you. Come back again soon. Uh, you can follow Lee on uh, Twitter at uh, Lee Zhou, L-I-S-Z-H-O-U. Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Read your great work at Vox.com. Please come back again soon. All right. Take care. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Same great show. New great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, Just a reminder that we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. I don't tweet that much. So if you're going to follow somebody, you could follow... Uh, BP show, uh, or you can follow our guest, Elena Plot, who is in studio uh, from the Atlantic. Uh, Elena, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You can follow Elena Plot on Twitter uh, at Elena Plot, E L A I N A Plot with two T's. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. You just got back into the country <laughs> like a couple of hours ago, right? Yes. And this is correct. your first stop. Yeah. All right. Where else would I rather be? I feel so happy. I feel so honored that you're here. Uh, So you've been a little off the news radar. And the biggest story, of course, is Tristan Thompson. And I don't keep up with the Kardashians, uh, but we were talking about this off air. Can you enlighten me a little bit as to what's going on? Yeah, well, I I don't know how much it says about me that I'm White House (laughs) correspondent for The Atlantic. And the news I delved in, I think, most deeply when I got back in the country was the fact that Khloe Kardashian's half-sister, Kylie Jenner, Kylie's best friend, hooked up with Tristan Thompson. By the way, it it totally translates because this is something that Trump could absolutely tweet about. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you said that. I was just texting with a former administration official on the way here. And I drafted what I thought the tweet might be, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was just going do, through do that you in my head. Hear it? Yeah, I do. Because okay. I, I was just going through what it might sound like in my head. Okay, it's Chloe, comma, time to get rid of Tristan, yep. all caps, no good. 
enjoy your life. Yeah. And if you think we're kidding around, he's done this before. Oh, I know. He did this with uh, Kristen Stewart. And Robert Pattinson. And Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And, she, and I feel like now with his relationship with Kim Kardashian and, you know, I guess, are he and Kanye still on I think okay they're still terms? on good terms. Kanye kind of walked back because he, yeah. he disavowed Trump and then he right. walked it back a little right. bit. He sort of said he might be back on the... But I think I think now Trump might feel a bit of loyalty to the Kardashian family and want to defend Chloe's honor. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. He's gonna gonna tweet about the Kardashians. It's not already what he's talking about this morning. Can you? You know that's true, right? Like you know that's going on. If it happens, I want to be back in studio to analyze. Deal. Deal. If that happens, we're gonna have you back. Deal. (laughs) All right. There it is. You saw it. You're gonna have her come back and talk about it. We're gonna keep up with the Kardashians. Uh, Okay. So let let me let me just start first of all with the national emergency Mm -hmm. because it was a week ago today, three years ago. No, it was a week ago. We could go today. It feels like three years. Uh, It was a week ago today that Donald Trump uh, stood in the Rose Garden and gave. Uh, what would you call it? Was it a press conference? Was it a statement? I don't. I don't even know how to define something right? like. I guess in a technical sense, it was a press conference Kinda. because he did take questions, he took questions. But it actually took about fifteen minutes for him to actually get into the declaration of the national emergency, which to me read as I don't even know if his heart was entirely in it or if he thought it was a, an amazing idea. But clearly, it's something just from talking to his advisors. They just felt he had to. Yeah, you know I, the thing about Trump is, and I've said this many, many times, he is actually brilliant when it comes to uh, making himself look better than he deserves to look, mm. right? And he, there's no other way to read into this. He got outplayed by Nancy Pelosi, and he got outplayed by the House Democrats, and he got backed into a corner. And the only thing he could do, the only thing he could do was to declare a, a national emergency. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think he loved it. I think he would have rather gotten a straight-up win, uh, but this was the only way he could save face, I think. Well, going into 2020, I really do think it was the final option. I mean, the most tangible campaign promise of his in 2016 was that he was going to build a wall, and I think he, you know, he was very aware of the fact that absent calling for a national emergency, there was nothing he could show for that yeah. um, on the campaign trail. What's interesting to me, though, is that I don't know if you remember the video he posted last week of, uh, you know, the new wall being constructed or whatever. Yep. Um, obviously, this was a video from the Army Corps of Engineer, Engineers, something they were doing last November um, as part of renovation projects that had been appropriate, funds for which had been appropriated in 2017, 2018. It's strange to me, though, why Trump wouldn't have why that video is just coming to light now. Just just because I you know, he was feeling this heat about lack of progress on a wall last fall as well. I'm not sure why he didn't push it out then. Uh, That's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know. And it's interesting to see how the argument sort of shifted to not build the wall, but finish the wall. Yes. And I honestly think that a lot of it is just. He'll see something and he grabs onto Mm -hmm. it, right? And he might have seen the whole wall thing happen, uh, this video happen, and he just dismissed it. But someone might have put it in front of him and said, look, we're building the wall. And then it clicks. Well, Kirsten Nielsen, I think, has actually been really good at, you know, during press conferences and whatnot, she'll say, 
Well, when we renovate the wall or fencing, that's actually, that is new wall and fencing. It is technically new materials going up. Um, <laughs> so there are a lot of, you know, semantic games at play, but that, but it's like you said, that's how he has to play this. He was backed into a corner. So talking about, you know, new, a new wall or whether it's just actually renovated fencing. I mean, these are the kinds of things we're going to be parsing yeah. going into the election. Yeah, no, it, it, this is going to go all the way up to the election. And I have to say, uh, I don't, I don't know what the next step in all of this is, right? In just in terms of the rhetoric, mm -hmm. because he's still out there saying the wall is being built. And I think a lot of people believe that the wall is being built. And if he speaks it into existence, to a large part of the country, it's automatically true. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I it wouldn't surprise me if he sees how well that that Army Corps video did. If yeah. he just starts looking for more and more arch archival footage of um, you know fences being renovated and just keeps pushing those out in you know increments. I said from the beginning, what they should do is just build a wall that's twenty feet long. Let him go down, get a picture in front of it, put it out there, and then it's done. So a Trump campaign advisor <clears throat> joked to me, um, I think this was back in December, I had just started the White House beat, and I asked him point blank, I said, what are you most worried about going into the reelect? He said, we don't have a wall. I said, so you're telling me literally none of the wall has been built. He said, we have about, we have just under three miles in San Diego. He said, so we've employed a lot of panoramic shots there. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean... It's cr it's crazy. Yeah. And it's just it's just sort of how business gets done it, with Donald Trump, right? Like it really is just all about the sell, not mm -hmm. about the 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 the, the policy. I, you know, there was a, a a knock on the George W. Bush administration. They're great at politics, terrible at policy. I think Donald Trump is that on steroids. Mm. Yeah, I mean. No, that's, I think that's a good point. I think, too— I only make good points. <laughs> we should all know that. Everybody knows I that. think that's accurate, Peter, <laughs> especially when we talk about Tristan Thompson and yeah. Khloe Kardashian. We can spend more time on that. I'm, I'm fine to spend more time on that. No, go ahead. But um, you have to wonder to what extent his supporters— you know, what will it take for them to start to say— Actually, I don't. I don't see the fruits of his efforts. That's a really good question. I, I don't know. I don't know what that line is necessarily because when I talk to you know a lot of people who supported Trump in the very same way that Trump will take whatever lack of progress there's been and try and spin it into you know something valuable, a step forward. His supporters are willing to do the same yeah. thing. Oh yeah. No, I, I wonder, I, I ask myself that question all the time. What's the line, mm -hmm. right? What's the line? And I'm not sure if there is one. I think that what would actually genuinely do some real damage to Trump, but it would also do some serious damage to the country, is like a serious economic downturn, like mm -hmm. a real serious mm -hmm. economic downturn. Well, he's obsessed with the stock market. I, um, I, I remember when Gary Cohn was in the White House, a White House source told me that um, – he would drive Gary basically crazy, just always calling him, what's what's going on with the stock market? You know, what does this downturn mean? How do we get it back up? I mean, that is really his central focus. It's so funny, right? Because, you know, we, we talked a lot during the Obama administration. There was a lot of good economic news. And you didn't see the Obama administration running around and putting their name on it and saying, this is 100% our Responsibility. I mean, they took some credit for good numbers, of course, but you know, the problem is when you tie yourself to the stock market. Yeah, 
stock market is going to drop at some point. Yeah, and it, I, it just to is. me, it makes sense that there it was on such a high for a while. There was a lot of optimism in the market when Trump came in, especially among people who you know thought that manufacturing jobs might return, but mostly because you had these you know corporate leaders realizing what was likely to happen with tax reform. Yeah. Um, but now that you know the afterglow of that is wearing off it it will be interesting to see where it goes and if that causes voters to view him differently yeah at the same time though i i could see those same people saying what's well, because democrats have the house so nobody wants to make bets anymore because they know that pelosi will shut everything down i think that's a good point too you know i mean look uh, uh, we were just talking with our, our our last guest uh you know nancy pelosi really does have donald trump's number yes he hasn't given her a nickname it's amazing that's how no, you no, know no. he respects he said, her he said nancy pelosi i call her nancy, nancy. <laughs> yeah because that's her name <laughs> i mean you don't get credit for coming up right. anyway uh it's it's really fascinating their relationship mm-hmm. i mean it's clear he doesn't like chuck schumer he's given him nicknames and and all that but there is a there is a weird respect that he has for Nancy Pelosi, and I just can't figure out what that is. Well, I think for me, it it, it really crystallized. I, do you remember when he and uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer had that bizarre Oval oh, yeah. Office broadcasted meeting? Oh, yeah. I think he thought she was brilliant in the way that she kept kind of lamenting, you know, do we have to do this in front of the press, whatever. But she was so much more willing than Schumer just to dive in and box him into a corner. And I remember the moment that she said, you couldn't get this passed in the House. Yeah. You couldn't get full funding for the wall passed in the House on your with just Republicans. That was the kind of... She she knew he would take that yeah. bait, and so the rest of <laughs> right. those two weeks, he spent all his time trying to trying to make sure he could prove to her he could pass this full funding for the wall that he knew would never get never happen past the Senate. It, I think that's the answer. He he likes strong men, and in her, in her mm-hmm. case, a strong woman. Like he, you look at the dictators that he likes. Uh, you know, he's talked about Duterte and. Uh, and, and all the others out there, obviously uh, Putin and and Kim Jong Un, he, he he has a weird respect for mm-hmm. these people. Uh, I don't mean to put Nancy Pelosi in the same category no, as those no, people. I'm not trying yeah. to do that, but like they are strong, opinionated mm-hmm. people who won't back down from what they want to get done. Definitely, and and I think that that's probably where the weird respect comes from. It's really boy, the psychology of Trump mm-hmm. is really something. It's a dangerous place to get into. It's a dangerous place to get into. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, he he predicted that you know he was going to declare this national emergency, and then there was going to be court battles, mm-hmm. and then there was going to be some more pushback, and it was going to go to the Supreme Court. It's like that famous sing songy clip that we played earlier this week, uh, and it has happened. the The court uh, uh, battles have begun. Mm-hmm. And so we're just gonna we're just gonna have to see how this plays out. The only thing, the most important part is he called the national emergency, and yep. that's what he's going to cling to yep. as he talks about this over the next two years. Exactly, it does not matter what happens Folks, in the courts. I tried to get it done, and they, this, these activist courts wouldn't let me do it. Yep, that's all he needs. Mm-hmm. He, he's he really is a master at finding that much daylight that he could just find his way through. And I think he dwells on it so much that he really does believe it's what he promised from the get-go like yeah. do you remember I, I he said this in the rose garden too um that 
he was fulfilling his promise to have Mexico pay for the wall because through NAFTA 2.0, the new dues that Mexico was paying, they were going to put that toward wall construction. And I thought to myself, I don't remember that in the chant, actually, (laughs) at rallies. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico via USMCA. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. via a new restructuring of the NAFTA. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, not the cadence, really. Yeah, right. Sells at rallies. Look, I mean, it has shifted so much, and his supporters are fine with it. They seem to be fine with it. Well, like I mentioned, I think they're as good at rationalizing often as he is. And I think with Democrats in the House, in many ways, um, and a White House official told me this right before um, Pelosi took the gavel, they said that in many ways, Democrats having the House is better for them because they always have a scapegoat for when things go wrong. Yeah, always, Mm -hmm. always. Uh, Okay, so uh, speaking of when things go wrong, uh, yesterday we got the news Uh, I guess it was Wednesday that we got the news that uh, Attorney General Bill Barr said that the Mueller report could drop as early as next week. Uh, Major Garrett from CBS says that it could be in Barr's hands as early as today. Oh, please, dear God, no. (laughs) I'm so tired. Another another Friday, (laughs) another Friday uh, news dump, huh? Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb, and heaven knows I've been wrong before. I don't think we're there yet. I really don't think we're going to get it today. I'm not sure that we're going to get it next week. I just, I kind of get that feeling that it'll be done when Robert Mueller says it's done. And this might be just wishful thinking on Trump and Barr's part. You know, it's it's Barr, but it's also, there have been these cryptic tweets from people like Matt Schlapp, um, who's the wife or husband, excuse me, of Mercedes Schlapp in the White House, saying, you know, Mueller will be gone soon. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, if it does drop, and it's not especially what the left wants it to be, they you might hear cries immediately of, you know, the investigation was stymied. Yeah. As soon as Barr took office. I would not put, I mean, you know, look, people were, on the left, even, we're saying, like, Barr is a respectable guy. He's a real guy. You know, I think Matthew Whitaker was... He's a real guy. Well, actually, I, I, mean, I know what you mean, though. He's a real boy. <laughs> uh, like he's, he's a real substantive guy. I think Matthew Whitaker was really a lackey, is what I was getting at. And, um, you know, I said, I don't think anybody should be uh, judged just on their looks alone. Except for Matt Whitaker, the guy looks guilty. But but mm. but 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 he, you know he he was a Trump loyalist, uh, and I'm not sure that William Barr is that. But we'll find out soon, right? The thing is, though, Bill Barr, you're really just going off of this reputation as an establishment, yep. right leaning lawyer in D.C. Um, and you know Don McGahn was that too. So it's a little unclear how this will unfold. And if there's actually some Kool-Aid in there that people yeah. start drinking. You know, what, what the, the, one of the things to me that signals that maybe they might not be as close to finishing as as they would like us to think, unless, of course, they step in, uh, is, you know, they just interviewed Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They're mm-hmm. continuing to sort of move closer and closer and closer to the Oval Office. Um, it feels like they got some more distance left to run. I think there's really no way of knowing, and I don't mean to 
be blasphemous when I say this. I'm a Christian, but in the same way the Bible says we don't, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. I'm not sure we know yeah. when the Mueller report is Fair. coming. And anybody who pretends to is reading tea leaves like reporters staking out the special counsel's office, seeing staffers walk out with boxes of files <laughs> right. as if they're cleaning out the place. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, who knows? I mean, I remember last August um, being on Capitol Hill talking to Republican lawmakers who said that they were hearing rumors it was coming out that week. This was last August. They said like it was going to be over last spring. Right. Rudy Giuliani famously right. said like it's going to be over. Like they, this Mueller investigation has ended thirty times yes. in the eyes of uh, certain members. It, of it, the, it, and, you know, it's interesting though. It's the same kind of framework that has come with Trump, especially when he was on the campaign trail. This will be the thing that. Seems him this time and it never happens it, it, it for me it always comes back uh to and i i, I always do this but i want to pull it up because it's um it, it, it's the best analysis of how donald trump has survived for so long jesse farrar bronze hammer on twitter who once tweeted well i'd like to see old donnie trump wriggle his way out of this jam trump wriggles his way easily <laughs> out of the jam ah well nevertheless <laughs> Like, that's just, that's it. Like, everybody thinks that this is going to be the thing that brings down Trump, and it never is. I remember, la uh, I think it was also last August when, um, you know, all the stuff about Michael Cohen came out at the beginning that he, you know, had in fact authorized the payments to Stormy Daniels. I was reporting in Houston at the time um, on a congressional race in the 7th District, and a lot of the Democratic operatives down there were convinced that that was the day that would mark kind of the dividing line of the Trump administration, mm. like the beginning and the end. Uh, How quaint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. That's adorable. Isn't that I just... remember being like, yeah, maybe. But like, I look back on my 2016, 2017 self, and I just think, what a dummy. Mm. What a dummy I was. I just... Maybe I'm just so deeply cynical after only three and a half years in D.C., but each time I thought to myself, no. No. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of people are, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's just I, I I don't I can't think of anything that I could look at <clears throat> with, with regards to Trump and be like, this is going to be the thing that brings him down. Well, because, no, not anymore. Right? Because what would bring him down is something that's criminally related, which I think is what why people are so anxious to see the Mueller report. Even then, I'm not so sure. Shockingly. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I mean, it would have to be an outright Donald Trump did this crime mm -hmm. and someone come after him. But, like, you know, he's got cover. Mm -hmm. And when he said that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and his people right. would still love him, that sounded like such a bizarre and fringe statement when he said it. But as we, like go deeper into this presidency it's almost like maybe he saw something that we didn't <laughs> yeah i think that's right yeah the 3d chess after all <laughs> but the part of this is that he has a lot of cover he has less cover than he used to since he lost the, since the republicans lost the house but you know house republicans uh, senate republicans had all sort of rallied around trump for his first two years and you know when you hear about democrats talking about impeachment and all this type of stuff like just not going to happen right now. No, and it's just there's just no way. I think, and I think when you're trying to think about what the red line is for, for me, 
the more interesting question is, when do Senate Republicans themselves find that red line? Because I, I do really believe that his base will find a way to rationalize anything he anything. does or says or doesn't do for yeah. that matter. Um, but at what point does Mitch McConnell say we need a primary challenger and we need to start fielding him or her now? I don't think it happens. You know, it, I, it, 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 it was it, it was that, that point was, I think, driven home a little bit with the national emergency, bringing it back to the national emergency declaration. We played a montage of like eight different right. senators saying, this is I a bad idea. <laughs> this is a bad idea. And Marco Rubio even said, I will fight him on this. Like, I will push back and I will make sure that he knows that this is the wrong thing to do. Lindsey Graham also said, I don't think it's the right right mm -hmm. idea. And then on Sunday, after Donald Trump announced, Lindsey Graham was on all the Sunday shows saying, I think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So, like, they have no problem giving him that cover. I haven't seen Marco Rubio fighting about the national emergency declaration. Have you? Marco Rubio has promised to be deeply disappointed about a lot of things <laughs> and, you know, actually have Marco it. <laughs> Rubio promises to be de deeply disappointed about blank. It's my new favorite TV show. I just, you know, they they'll they've they they know that to oppose Trump would probably be at their own peril. I actually what I go back to as a reporter all the time in my head is you know, is what's motivating this lawmaker to continue to support Trump the fact that a tweet could be coming if they don't. That's a big part of it. That's the amount of damage of a tweet can do. Just ask Jeff Flake. Right. That's why he needs to tweet about Tristan Thompson. I just look, he hasn't tweeted this morning at all. He hasn't tweeted about Tristan Thompson. Yet. Maybe he's listening to us and he'll change his mind. Well, last time you were here, he called you out. That's so, true. So, right. uh, no, he's on the right. phone consoling Chloe. Yeah, right. All right. Elena Platt from the Atlantic. Thank you so much Thank for joining you, Peter. us. I really appreciate it. Have a good weekend, everybody. This is the Bill Press Show.